Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today, I have the great fortune of being joined by Jane Deeks. Jane is the VAT expert at Bell Howley, and hopefully she's going to give us some fantastic insight into where property investors and developers can sometimes get a little bit confused and unstuck when dealing with that fun and exciting subject of VAT. So welcome, Jane. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, hello, Rob. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, So, Jane, I'm going to just crack on straight away and get stuck into some of these questions. Do you want to just explain a little bit about in which scenarios the 5% VAT applies? Now, I'm of the impression it's when we're converting property and changing the number of units. So if I'm splitting a single dwelling house into three three flats or if I'm converting a house into an HMO or even if I'm converting a uh, three flats into one dwelling. Is there, is there any other scenarios where that 5% rate might, might apply? Yes, there is. Um, that, exactly what you've said is correct. So it's all there's sort of two parts to the five percent so like you say you've got the one is where you're changing the use and or the number of dwellings so you like you say you can be changing it from commercial to residential you could also be converting from relevant charitable uh sorry from relevant charitable purpose to relevant residential purpose or from commercial to relevant residential as well oh. and when i talk about relevant residential we're talking about things like maybe a care home or student accommodation yeah okay got it uh, and then the other side to the five percent is where the property is already residential it might just be a flat or a house and you're not actually changing the use at all or the number of dwellings but the property's been empty for over two years Oh, so, okay. so if end- someone's if someone's just doing a refurb and they bought a property that maybe has been a, I don't know, one of these probate properties or something like that, where, which has right. been un- unused for a couple of years, then uh, that could reduce their bill costs. It could, yes, yeah. and you need proof that it's been empty for two years, which you can usually get from the local um, property officer at the council. And yeah, so normally if you bought a house and you was going to refurbish it to sell it or rent it you'd get charged at 20%. But if you can prove that it's been empty and unoccupied for the two years, then you can get it reduced down to the actual 5%. That's fantastic. I never knew that. Yeah, 15% saving, which is brilliant. Yeah, that is brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Now, uh, I suppose I've got the same question for zero rate VAT. So as I understand it, this is more for new builds. Are there any other scenarios where a zero rate VAT might come into uh, property? Yeah, so again, you've got, um, if you build a a new relevant residential purpose building, so again, like student accommodation or a care home, or if you build a relevant charitable purpose building, you can also get the zero rating. And there's also situations where if you build, if you build a building that's sim- similar to a village hall, then yeah. that would, could fall under the zero rating as a relevant charitable purpose building. Now, what's, uh, what so, would be the difference, and I don't uh, this might be more of a planning question than a VAT question, but if you had, say, a building that was for community use, would that come under that, that bracket? So, I don't know. Potentially. Might, yeah, youth yeah, clubs, things like that. But it's, um, 
it's quite a uh, minefield of an area. I'm actually doing some work at the moment for the, um, a junior amateur football club, and they're a charity, and they've built a clubhouse. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just doing the research now to see if we could get away with the zero rating because the builder that they've used was a friend, but he's charged twenty percent. Right. So I'm, I'm just. But there's, it's a minefield. There's loads of case law contradicting each other. HMRC are contradicting. What the actual legislation? That's not like to... them. Well, well, that's just normal. <laughs> that's, that's just HMRC for you, actually. It's uh, they try and uh, put everything to their to how they want it, regardless of what the law says. Yeah. So yeah, so it's looking like we might possibly be able to save them, get them some money back, which they really need because obviously they're a charity and they're doing a really lovely job for the community for young young kids into football. Yeah, but. Um, we, I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle, but I can see we can try and put in a type of voluntary disclosure to HMRC to say that the builder charged 20% when he should have charged zero rate and, and see what they come back with. And then if they come back with and say, well, no, we don't agree that it comes within these rules, hmm. depending, depending if we've got a strong case or not, we could potentially appeal. Um, the other route is then looking into whether, well, okay, if we can't get the zero rating, are we doing something that we can say is a taxable business activity and therefore that register the, the club. Yeah, so get the, get that club registered for VAT. And then, the, yeah, and then they'd be probably in a partially exempt position because they'd be providing, you know, the exempt sporting activities, but then the taxable activities are likely to be the bar taking. Yeah, so, so they could they could benefit from other that input uh, from, from, from other yeah. side of their business. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting, and we'll come on to that in a bit in certainly one of my other questions. Now, what would you say is the difference, because this is something I get confused about. So, Jane, what's the difference between something being zero rated for VAT and being VAT exempt? Right, so firstly, if you go back to the basic rules with VAT, whether you can, when you can recover input tax or not. So input tax is obviously the VAT on the costs that you incur in your business. And in order to recover that input tax, you need to make a taxable supply. Yeah. So when you supply something at the zero rate of VAT, although there's no VAT, on the supply, it's actually a, a classed as a taxable supply. However, when you make an exempt supply, again, there's no VAT on that supply, but because it's exempt, it's not a taxable supply, it's an exempt supply. So any input tax that relates to that supply isn't recoverable. For instance, if you, if you let a flat, then you'd be making an exempt supply. And if you've incurred costs on refurbishing that flat, you wouldn't be able to recover those. However... If you um, if you built a brand new house and sold it, it would be at zero rate of VAT, and then any VAT you've incurred on well, most of the VAT on the construction you will be able to recover. Brilliant. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And you've also, in the process of that, answered something else that I was going to come on to later. But we'll 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 get there when we when we get there. Just some, <laughs> just something I, I I wanted to pick up from something you said on the previous question. So if we've got, um, and I'm sure there'll be people listening, thinking, oh my goodness, I've paid VAT when I didn't need to. How easy is it, once that's paid, to recover that? So for example, if someone's already paid their builder 20% when actually they should have paid 5%, is that unfortunately just money down the drain or is there a way to maybe try and reclaim that? Yeah, I mean, you can't um, you can't recover incorrectly charged VAT from HMRC. 
So it's so, so important they, to get it right first time. Yeah, so what they'd have to do is go back to the builder yeah. and um, persuade the builder that he's got it wrong mm. and that he, he needs to refund them the money. Okay. And then, then it's up to the builder then to put in a claim to HMRC to recover the overpaid VAT. Got it. And I, I, I can imagine the uh, difficulties in that. So I, yeah. I think that's uh, a lesson for everyone to, before starting any build or any projects, it's important to maybe consult someone like yourself um, to see what the situation is with, with that because it can save a, a huge amount of money. I, I'm, I certainly know that having made various mistakes on it in the past. So, yeah, really important. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's correct because a lot of things, there's a lot of time as well that we can do things to help help people in this area, whereas if, they, if they'd have come to us sooner. I mean, even, even at the point where they're actually purchasing the building or the land, if prior to actually purchasing they could get the advice because it could be that we suggest that you purchase in a different vehicle. Yeah. So a different legal entity might be a better way depending on obviously the what they what they're going to be doing with it Absolutely. but just going back to the builder having to submit a claim to HMRC for incorrectly for the VAT that he's incorrectly charged you can only go back 4 years so as well if, if it comes to your attention in 5 years time and you went back to the builder the builder's going to probably going to say well I'm sorry I've, um, I can't get it back so yeah. it's unlikely they're going to give you it back it depend mm-hmm. on the legal um, terms in the contract and people might be listening and thinking well this is all not applicable because I'm never ever going to get money back off a builder but what people might not be realising is is certainly for example um, in structures like my own you might have your own building arm and you might have group fat relief and various other things so I think I think these points are, are really really um, important for people to understand but I think we'll get on to some of those more in-depth questions in a bit yeah. um, I mean there are, there are times though where the builders will will be willing to help yeah they obviously want to do the work again for no, people. of course yeah yeah it would usually be a matter you'd usually the best bet would usually be suggesting that the builder went to their accountant and yeah. then you know, with my assistance writing or uh, corresponding with the accountant, there's usually potential that we can come up with some agreement. And it would usually be that the builder would agree that if you pay the fees, I'll put in the um, claim. And once I'm paid back, then I'd refund you the VAT. Yeah, no, it's unsensible. So next question then, if you're buying a site which is VAT registered, and remember, it's not the buildings that are VAT registered, it's the land on which the buildings sit. So I've made that issue, that mistake before. Um, so if you're buying a, uh, a site on land where the VAT, where it's VAT registered, is the SDLT always subject to VAT as well? Yes. So first of all, sorry to um, to correct you there, Rod. Oh, no, but good, please do. Yeah, we wouldn't ever say that um, the land is that registered. Okay. What, what you'd be saying, it's actually the company that's that registered. Yeah. And if the company, it's the company that's opted to tax its interest in the land. That's sorry, you're right, and it stays yeah, well, on the, and, right. it stays, mean, yeah. and it stays on the land for twenty years. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Well, at, least, yeah. at least I got something right. <laughs> yeah, so, well, it stays on the land forever, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but after the 20-year period, you do have the option to revoke the option to tax. Okay, brilliant. Uh, but yes, but VAT is always charged um, 
uh, sorry, stamp duty land tax is always charged on the VAT inclusive amount. So that's really so, important for people that are looking to buy these properties, making sure, one, they understand that they're going to pay VAT on the SDLT, but also, and um, we'll come on to this in a bit, maybe before you actually complete on that purchase and the SDLT is due, you may want to consider ways to get the VAT taken off or, or, or um, take off the interest of the land and VAT before completion. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. So the only people, so there is the opportunity to disapply an option to tax on on land and property. Mm-hmm. But when there's just land and there's actually no building on the land, it's only um, housing associations that can do that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, cause, and there are quite quirky um, and slightly different rules when it comes to land and property for housing associations as to what there are for your normal builder. So if you set up a housing association that's for profit, could you maybe benefit from some of those things? Potentially, yes. Okay, well, that, I think that's probably a conversation for another day. Yeah. But <laughs> another, another, another thing that you could do in this situation is what we call the golden brick arrangement. Okay. What's so that? what that what that says if you um if you buy if you bought the site if you if you bought the firstly you bought the site you, you've um, accounted for that on that site but then you want to sell it on mm-hmm. as long as you've still got the person's construction status and you've built up past foundation level or up to foundation level of the buildings there's a potential then for you to to grant a uh, zero rated sale of that land. Wow. Okay. So, got. I'm learning so, so much. <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So that that's that's something that in some situations can save some some stamp duty and, and VAT, and yeah. so you've got the cash flow. And you, you've also got as well when you're selling um, a site, depending on if there's been any work on the site before it's sold, there's a potential that that could go across as a transfer of a going concern. Yeah. So I was, was going to which again outside the scope of that. Now, now, what? So, following on from that, then, what would be the difference between sort of transfer of going concern and the? I think is it one six one one D form that you feel, yeah. or, or is it the same thing? No, no, it's it's different. So, the when you when you disapply an option to tax, you have to complete one of the forms. It's a one six one four D form. Right. Yeah. And um, and that. That stops the option to tax from having any effect on the building. Okay. And so again, that's something that you might want to do before completing, um, maybe yes. getting the, the, the seller to do so you're not going to pay that um, extra VAT on the stamp. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you issue the certificate to the seller mm-hmm. of a commercial property and the one that you're going to be then converting into residential. Yeah. You su- you should actually do it prior to the relevant date. So the relevant date is usually completion, but yeah. if the deposit was going to the actual seller, that would create a tax point and be the relevant date. Right, that's so, really interesting. Then, so so yeah. if a lot of the, the time with those deals, you'll, you'll get... Um, Sorry to cut, cut over you, but uh, you'll get these um, sellers that want the money released from the law into their account. So that will have a massive impact on on the SDLT too. So that's really potentially yes, yeah, yeah. And and these forms, although um, the seller, you know, although by law they can't refuse these certificates and these forms to disapply the option. What they could do if they didn't want to disapply the option could be just to say, well, we're not going to sell to you. Yeah, because. 
you know, that commercial property could be within what we call the capital goods scheme. And the capital goods scheme means that any um, any VAT that you've recovered on the construction of that property or refurbishment of that property over the last 10 years, um, if you make an exempt supply, then that may have to be repaid back to HMRC. Oh, wow. That's, that is, yeah. Yeah. So say, for instance, um, I don't know, you've built a commercial property and it's cost a million pounds plus £250,000 for VAT. Yeah. And then five years down the line, you're going to sell it to um, the contractor who wants you to disapply the option to tax. Mm. If you went with his disapplication, you'd then have to pay back £125,000 to HMRC. Wow, okay. So, in that situation, you'd be more likely to say, Well, I'm sorry, I'm not selling to you unless you increase the price by 125,000. That's really so, interesting. I never knew yeah, that. There's, there's always a bit of commercial negotiation on those um, type of transactions. And I imagine there's quite a lot of sellers that are unaware of that as well when it, when it comes to that. So, again, when you're selling something which is optative of that, obviously get in touch with, the, with yourself beforehand. Exactly, yes, because um, if you're selling and you, somebody gives you this form, you think, oh, that's fine, I can do that. Yeah. But then after you've sold HMRC, so well, hang on, you've got to pay me the X amount back now, then uh, it's, yeah, not very good at all. So so what the, that form actually does is, is um, result in a standard-rated supplier of a commercial building becoming an exempt supplier of a commercial building. Right, so they won't, the seller then won't be um, uh, having to pay that back. Yeah, so so if there's no issue with the capital goods scheme yeah. and he's, he's input tax, he can say, yeah, fine, we'll accept that form, we'll sell you the building exempt from VAT, uh, and then technically any related input tax to that exempt sale isn't recoverable. Yeah. Although without getting too complicated, <laughs> there is something called partial exemption de minimis rule, and if the input tax on um, any services to sell this property below the de minimis rule, you can treat yourself as fully taxable and recover it. Okay. <laughs> so that's another, that's definitely another podcast, like you say. Yeah. Um, and then when you, when a property goes across as a transfer of a going concern, that's called outside the scope of VAT. Yeah. So that's neither, that's not a supply for that purposes. So it's not exempt, it's not, it's just not a supply. Mm-hmm. And then there are specific rules with regards to input tax. And the rules are basically you can recover your input tax based on what you was doing before you sold the building. Right. So if the uh, property owner was letting the building, and obviously it's optus, so he's making taxable supplies, or he was a fully taxable business using the property for his own purposes, yeah. that's got no issues with his input tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, but, but if you're in a situation where you're buying a commercial property and you want to get rid of the option to tax because you're planning on converting it into um, a residential, then you're not likely to, well, you're not going to get the TOGC, you're not going to get it through as a transfer of going concern because it's a different business. So um, transfer of going concern, there's a number of conditions, and one in particular is that you carry on the same type of business uh, for a significant period afterwards. Mm -hmm. So if you are doing that, would one of say you want to convert this commercial to residential? What I understand to be sort of a, a sensible route, and that I've I've gone through, is to set up a SPV and register that for VAT, and then process all that input costs. So my um, the bill cost plus the the five percent VAT 
would go in there. If I've got a third-party builder, if it's myself, then it's all, all the materials, etc. And then, um, and then I'd sell the units, and those are zero-rated, which means I can I can pay, I can um, claim the VAT back from those uh, other other um, VAT inputs. Is that is that correct? You don't need a separate um, a separate vehicle to do that because if you're if you're converting a commercial building into residential with the intentions of, of selling it, mm. then you're making a taxable supply when you sell it at the zero rate, and you can recover all your um, input tax on the conversion. So there's not really a need for a separate build, building from a VAT perspective. That's, that's, uh, that's, sorry, that's, a separate company from a VAT but, perspective. Sorry, that, but that's only if obviously that company is registered for VAT. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And even if, so if you, yeah, and obviously it depends on what that company's doing. So if you've yeah. got a company that's got some kind of business activity but it's below the VAT threshold yeah. and you don't want that register it, then yes, obviously in those types of cases, a, a special purpose vehicle would, yes. would be advantageous, of course. The other situation where we'd usually say set up a special purpose vehicle is if if you actually if the client actually wants to convert the property and then rent it out. Yeah, because then you'd have you'd set up a, yeah. a group structure, wouldn't you, with a holding company, and then transfer that as a linked transaction, so you don't pay any stamp duty. Um, yeah. But then, but then the rent, and this goes back to the zero rated versus VAT exempt. So the rent is VAT exempt. So can you then claim back the input VAT from the SPV before you? I guess you have to do that before transferring or, or transferring the um, the property to the sort of renting company. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, special purpose vehicle would construct the property or convert the property. Yeah. They would be VAT registered, and as you say, each VAT quarter or monthly, depending on the figures, be, yeah. uh, be covering the, um, the VAT on the costs. They would then um, grant the first grant of a major interest in a new building. So when you convert commercial into resi, that would be treated as a new building. Yeah. And then a first grant of a major interest is the sale of the freehold or of a leasehold over 21 years or more. Yeah. So that, that, then when, when you make that um, supply, that is then a zero-rated supply. So you've, you've sort of crystallized yeah. the fact of making a taxable supply. So that allows you to keep the input tax that you recovered. So that's that's really interesting because I've, I've done that a few times and I've never kind of grasped why it's got to be beforehand and that makes perfect sense. So, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, because that's... You've got to understand that earlier question about the difference between zero rated exactly. and exempt supplies. Yeah. That give that explain and where well, how that comes in. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so then you transfer it zero rated across to the other company. Like you say, the linked transactions so you, you don't have to pay stamp duty. Mm-hmm. And then the other company doesn't back register and just makes exempt supplies. Fantastic. Now where where do you see most property developers and investors missing out or making mistakes on VAT issues in terms of making their investments or developments as profitable as possible? Yeah. Well I'd say um I'd say the first thing that a lot lot of developers do is is purchase the land or the building before getting advice. Yeah. I think if you, that's your intentions, it's always worth speaking to somebody like myself uh, to find out what the VAT implications are and whether they should be purchasing the property in a different legal entity. 
yeah. to the one they might want to keep it in. And there's always an issue regarding whether the correct VAT's charged or not. Some situations where you've got where you know you might be building something that might be partially for for business purposes or partially for relevant charitable purposes and there might be commercial elements then you might have a various number of VAT liabilities on that property and that needs to be apportioned and looked at yeah that's 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 really interesting especially on on where you've mentioned sort of mixed use properties and and how they're purchased um i think uh, a lot of people don't don't have a good understanding of that, and, and uh, certainly something I wasn't really aware of was how much the use class can affect the VAT, uh, not just being commercial or residential, but the different types of commercial, like you said, the charitable stuff, um, and, and, and what we mentioned yeah. before about the sort of football club and things like that. Yeah, and um, then again, like, like we spoke about earlier, there's a lot of people miss, miss the trick of disapplying the option to tax when they're going to convert a commercial building so then they they don't really think that it matters much because well we can recover that back anyway yeah but had they disapplied it like we said earlier they would have got also got the stamp duty land saving um, yeah because i think i think that's what i kind of come across quite a lot is people thinking well i'm not going to disapply because this actually helps me reclaim some of the um, the VAT that that I'm the input VAT, so things like my uh, materials that I'm buying, my second fix items, my professional services that I've got to employ, um, and all this stuff. So they they decide not to do that. But what you're saying is actually it makes no difference. You can still uh, register that company for VAT, and it's not so um, so important for the building. That's correct because. Yeah you're looking at your intentions of what do you intend to do with this building. So you're intending to turn it into residential. So by doing that, the um, even if you'd, obviously it's not your option to tax, it was the sellers, but if you'd have opted to tax as well, Mm. uh, that would just be irrelevant and it just wouldn't, wouldn't because it doesn't apply to residential. So the only time you uh, would opt to tax uh, a commercial building really is when you're renting it out because if you if you're using that commercial building for your own purposes yeah then and you're ta- making taxable supplies from that building then you're entitled to recover yeah any rented input tax if you're renting that commercial building then you need to opt to tax so that the rent has obviously got that on it and then you're allowed to recover any vat on your overheads what about- but where you're buying the commercial to turn it into residential, the option to tax is irrelevant. So, if you're, if you know, if you set up a new company, yeah. you supply that option to tax. You back register your company on the basis that you're an intending trader. Okay. So you're intending to make taxable supplies, albeit a zero-rated one, at the end of the development. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. You mentioned one thing there, which kind of stuck in my head, which was uh, obviously renting out a commercial space. You've got to elect it for that because you've got to get that on the rent. Now, what happens if the asset was owned by an investment company and you set up a management company and elected the management company for that to charge, could you charge rent at, uh, uh, um, uh, plus VAT and to, in order to claim back maybe VATable supplies on, on managing the building? Or would it be best to do it through the company that owns that building? Basically, the um, it's only the owner of the building that can let the building unless they've given some kind of 
agreement to the management company for them to allow to let the building. So, yeah. so you're looking at the options tax by the owner and so, the management companies. Um, their services are going to be automatically standard rated anyway. Yeah. So what I was thinking is kind of like a subleasing type model, but I'm not sure whether that would uh, whether that would no. work. Yeah. I think the other thing as well to say about all of this is the fact that, um, you know, everything depends on the circumstances. As you know, yeah. VAT is very transactional based and the slightest little thing could mean that the VAT situation is totally different to, yeah. to you know, what someone else was doing, even it, though the founders were doing the same thing. Yeah, a lot of it's about intent, isn't it? <laughs> and then obviously following that intention because... You could potentially recover all your VAT on the intentions you're going to make a taxable supply, but then later down the line you change your mind and you don't make the taxable supply, then you'd be in a position where you'd have to um, repay the VAT. Slight concession with um, with new bills where when we had the housing market crisis a few years ago and um, they, the builders weren't able to sell the houses, so they started letting them out on temporary lets. And normally that would have meant that um, they, they'd made an exempt supply and therefore they couldn't recover any of their input tax. But HMRC um, allowed a concession to say that they would let them treat it similar to how you treat a capital item for the capital goods scheme. So you'd have to um, prove that you still was trying to sell the properties. Right, but okay. we'd let it for a year, then so, we'd just, um, we'd just um, disallow one-tenth of the input tax and it was just a one ca- one-off calculation. So that would be about evidencing, say, well, we've got it on the market, but no one wants to buy it, so therefore exactly. we're doing this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if you did let the property for a year and you did that calculation, so you got nine-tenths of the input tax back, but then for some reason the tenant, you still couldn't sell and the tenant was in the property for, say, two, three years, you wouldn't have to do another calculation. Uh, it's just okay. a one thing yeah. done based on the intention at the time. Right, that's 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 interesting. Okay, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Now, one of the things that I hear a lot about, especially I, I mostly hear about this from people that maybe have uh, have got into trouble with HMRC about that and start moaning that other people have maybe got away with things. So, can you? give us a quick explanation in terms of what blocked that is. So I'll give you a, a, a little scenario. So when a new home's built and sold, it's zero rated, but the VAT on the goods covered by the blocking order remains due. So instead of charging an amount of VAT to the house buyer, the developer is blocked from claiming back the VAT on those affected goods. So what are some of those affected goods on, on that blocking order in terms of, sort of property development? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the goods in question are white, type, white goods, so like washing machines, fridge freezers, that sort of thing. What about things they, like baths and sinks and tiles? No, they wouldn't come into it because what, what you're looking at is are they um, are the particular items, building materials for the purposes of VAT? Okay. So HMI only have a long list of what they consider to be building materials that are ordinarily incorporated in a home and what aren't building materials. So things like um, things like your, your white goods, your fridge freezer, your dishwasher, they're not regarded as building materials. Mm-hmm. But the blocking order only, only applies 
to the person who's going to be making a first grant of a major interest of that property. Now, what does that so, mean in layman's terms? <laughs> so, so that means if you've commissioned a builder to build you a house yeah. and you want a washing machine and a dishwasher in that house, then the builder will zero rate the majority of his um, his work, but he'll have to charge standard rated BAT on the white goods. Yeah. So then when you sell that, so the first grant of a major interest is the um, sale of a freehold of the property mm-hmm. um, or a leasehold for over 21 years. Yeah. So as a developer, then when you come to sell that house, rather than you having to um, charge the purchaser 20% on the washing machine and the fridge freezer and, there's, and 0% that on the rest of the house, yeah. you, you just sell it at the zero rate for everything but then you're not allowed to recover the VAT on the particular white goods that you purchase from the builder. Got it, got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, it could, so it could be when, when Dave down the pub is talking to his mate and he says, well, we couldn't recover the VAT on our white goods and his mate said, well, we did, what could have been the situation? It could have been that his mate was actually the, the builder. Yeah, yeah. He'd done the build work, recovered the VAT, charged it on, whereas he's actually the... The, the main contractor is selling the properties. So that's where I say about how the facts are so fact-specific yeah. that it, it's difficult. Um, you know, you can't just give one uh, one piece of advice about one um, building development and expect it to cover everything because yeah. there's likely to be always different quirks and things within the planning permission and who's doing what. Definitely. Um, if I've uh, got a development and it's a residential development, Maybe I'm getting a residential house and I'm splitting it into flats. Now, I'm going to be spending a considerable amount of that on, one, the build, whether I get a third-party contractor in, I'm still going to be paying 5% that. But I'm also going to be buying maybe second-fix items which aren't included in that build contract. So things like your kitchens, your bath, your, your tiles and the paint and flooring, which normally is going to incur a 20% VAT. Now, what's the best way for the developer, not the builder, but the developer, to claim that stuff back? And is that possible? So, yeah, if you, if you go to... If you're the developer and you're, you're, you've, uh, you've employed a builder to do the actual conversion work, yeah. um, and you go to the builder's merchant, you're going to be charged 20%. Yeah. But if the builder goes and buys those goods and then sells them as part of the actual building service. It's treated as one supply and would all be 5%. Yeah. So potentially from your point of view, from a cash flow perspective, you'd be better off if the builder purchased the goods. Yeah. And there are a lot of situations, the builders are below the VAT registration threshold, so they'll encourage the um, their customer to buy the materials. Right. And that's what they help, help stay under the VAT threshold. Right, okay. So, I mean, if I give you a scenario, let's say I've I've got a builder to come in and and do the conversion of three flats and they're charging me, I don't know, that's 300 grand to do that conversion. But what's not included are the second fix items like the kitchens, bathrooms, tiles, flooring, lighting and all that stuff, which I've got to buy separately. Now, let's say that comes to 100 grand. I'm going to be paying another 20% on top of that. So is there any way that I can reclaim that back? Yeah, if, if you intend to sell that property once you've converted it. Okay. Because 
you back to your zero rating yeah. in your first grant of a major interest. Got so you, you're making a taxable supply. Brilliant. If, but but, if but that company that I'm buying it in has to be registered for that. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so if if you're sorry, Rod, if you're intending to let that property, yeah, then a way to save money, save fifteen percent on those items, would be if the builder purchased them, because then he'd only yeah. have to charge you five percent. Or if we had the group structure and I transferred it into a holding company afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's also something called a design and build contract. Yeah, yeah. So that would um, that would be included in in the design and build contract. Those second fix items as well. So obviously, make yeah. And then if you included your the you know your professional services within it, the surveyor, yeah. the architect, you because professional fees are always twenty percent. Yeah. And the only the only way that they ever get reduced is by a design and build contract so they would you'd have a main contractor he would um, commission the architects the lawyer they'd charge him 20% but then when he built the house his services would be regarded as all zero rated brilliant now can we talk about group VAT relief Uh, yeah if you want to (laughs) you feel the need for that I mean this this is something that's uh, affecting me so Let's say I've got a group structure and I've got a SPV that we're doing a build on and then we're going to transfer that into a, a holding company to rent out. Do I need to then register every SPV that I do a build in for VAT or can I have set up group VAT relief and, and what does that entail and how would that benefit me? Yeah, I see what you're saying. So if you wanted different SPVs for each build, yeah. then what you could, I suppose you could enter, you could you could VAT register them as a group VAT registration, yeah. which technically then they are going to be all VAT registered, but yeah. just under one group registration. Yeah. But the trouble with the group VAT registration is that you, all the different companies would be joint and severably liable for any VAT due. But then I'm just trying, I'm just trying to think whether, because usually, usually we have, properties and set up a different SPVs on the basis of trying to protect different properties aren't they you know yeah. protect I, th- I think it again comes comes down to what the kind of goal is so a lot of yeah. um, businesses so such as mine have have a development arm and a and a investment arm where we're holding properties but also there's an element of asset management as well so lettings yeah. and management so it's it's trying to work out what's best in terms of VAT for everything and is it to do VAT individually for each SPV in each separate company or if you've got a holding company that really owns a lot of these businesses or most of them is it are you better off doing group VAT and I know that's an impossible question to answer because you, yeah. like you're not looking at well, the details. Well, but. the holding company wouldn't come into the situation no. because they're obviously making exempt rentals. Yeah. So you wouldn't want them in the group because that would create a partially exempt group and then you'd lose out on some of the input tax. Yes. So I suppose basically if, if you want, you know, you could just have one special purpose vehicle that was the construction arm. Yeah, that you basically did register for that and then sort of, contracted out the works to the other SPVs that owned the properties. Yes, yeah, sorry, I was just thinking that. I was just thinking you could either bring the property into the SPV, do the work and then make... And then transfer it. And then transfer it to the old company. Or the SPV could provide 
the zero. But I suppose if it was bare land and there was no VAT, you could have the land straight into the holding company. Mm. The construction company would then provide zero-rated construction services and everybody's happy. If, yeah. however, you was buying a commercial building that had VAT on it and you couldn't get rid of the VAT for some reason, then you'd want to put that into the SPV so mm. that that can recover because otherwise the older company would lose out on the VAT. Yeah. On the purchase price. You, this, um, this is this is one of these subjects. So I'm I'm a bit of a a geek when it comes to sort of details and especially everything about property, and and that is one of these things that it's just like the more you look into it, the more you realise you need you need someone who's an absolute specialist to do it because there are so many sort of different avenues and different issues that come along depending on the on the scenario. So. Um, yeah, yes, it's, correct. It's, it's, it, it is. is. It is fascinating. Um, and then, and then the other thing as well, it's to throw a spanner in the works, um, which again is probably could be another podcast. Is this new reverse charge for the construction construction industry? Go on. Do you want to quickly explain that then? Yeah. So br- briefly, where you've got subcontractors providing construction services that fall within the construction industry scheme. And they're providing them to another contractor who's eventually providing them to the end user. They yep. no longer are going to be required to charge VAT in certain situations. So if they're making 5% or 20% rate supplies, then they won't charge that VAT. And they have to put specific wording on their invoices. And then their their customer would then account for that VAT under what we call the reverse charge so they'd, they'd charge themselves it and then if there was allowed to recover it recover it uh, which sounds is quite straightforward it's just an in and out on the purchasing side but the trouble is these subcontractors are now losing out 20% cash on well, cash flow basis yeah that's what I was going to say it's, it's more of a yeah. cash flow issue rather than anything else isn't it it is because like a lot of these smaller builders Usually well, use that 20% well, to buy materials for the next job before well, the VAT return has to go in. Well, and, and I've done a, 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 an episode um, with someone that's all about sort of different types of um, build contracts and, and, and various construction um, issues in, in, in that industry. And one of the big things is they're not working on big margins. So cash flow is incredibly important. And what what about paying sort of that up front before you've received the money? So if they're on I don't know ninety day payment terms and things like that, that that's obviously is that is that did that ever come in where they've got to pay the VAT before they've actually received the money in the bank if they if they if the invoice has been processed? Yes, because yeah, because by um, issuing an invoice, they've created a tax point. Yeah, yeah. So that, and then like yeah so so that's you've got to be careful so in that that's probably usually where you would want to issue a pro forma invoice yeah yeah which, well say pro forma invoice it's pro forma it's not a, it's not, it's an, not invoice an invoice for that purposes yeah. there's yeah. just something it's like an invoice but you just make sure something's missing like your VAT number and yeah. put a property um, invoice this isn't a VAT receipt yeah. and then in that case you've not created the basic tax point and it depends as well whether you finish the job or whether the work's carrying on because it's if they're still building it's regarded as a continuous supply for that purposes yeah. until they're finished so by issuing an invoice you create a um, tax point mm. and that has to be paid but if you finish the job then that's the basic tax point so the pro forma wouldn't actually help in that situation it's only where there's a continuous supply of services 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's um, that's really useful, especially for uh, some of these businesses that maybe um, have their own sort of construction arm and yeah. are issuing sort of invoices cross cross company and things like that. So yeah. the the reason I do SPVs for pretty much most sort of new purchases and most builds is one is is ring fencing and protection around lending so when we're yeah, raising that was the word i was trying to get to when i was saying about the back group you got joint and several liability yes. so, so so you can lose that 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 advantage of ring fencing you totally lose it don't you yeah it's, it, i mean that's that's the number one thing when it comes to raising debt so mortgages and senior debt on 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 property projects and developments Um, that's really the number one reason and then the second reason is obviously to be more efficient and profitable and if if it's due to tax or or other issues and that's why and it's also another reason sorry is depending on uh, uh, who's involved so for example I've, I've recently bought a site um, as, as a part of a joint venture with someone else. So my um, holding company is part of the group. We bought 50% of it and his company bought 50% of it so that when we sell, I'm not having to take the profits personally. That can go up into the holding company and his share can go up into, into well, his holding company. But it means that let's say he makes loads of money and, and had a would have to pay a load of income tax on, on it that year. Um, we we don't just because one person wants to take a dividend from the profits doesn't mean the other person has to. Um, so that's another big reason why I've kind of set things up in in that group formation. But the, I mean, there's again, it's 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 subjective to what that business and, and people involved are trying to achieve. Um, yeah. Well, so wait, sorry, can I just go back a little bit there? Yeah. So when you say you, you buy fifty percent of the property and your you third party. Um, third party do you do you mean you set up a third company yeah so 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 you're holding so you set up like purchase co well so i'll have my um rodco which is my investment company and uh john my mate will have john co which is his investment company and we will together purchase a site in an spv called the purchase Uh, co and and john co and rodco will each own 50 percent of that yeah 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 Sorry, I was thinking you meant you was buying 50% because it does happen where uh, people go into agreements and say, well, we'll, we'll both purchase this land mm. and uh, we'll build it and then we'll sell it and we'll split the profits. So, no, yeah. Honco, for instance, purchases, they put 50% of the profit. John Co puts in 50%. Yeah. And what they don't realise, that there's no special purpose vehicle here. They've yeah. just bought the as joint tenants or tenants in common, whichever yeah. way it is, and they think that that's fine what they're doing. But what they've done is they've created a partnership for that purposes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you've got another legal entity. So you've got Rodco and Jonco, and yeah. then you've got Rod and John's partnership. So then, what you should be doing then is back registering the partnership in order to um, recover any input tax. And that's something that a lot of people do miss. That's uh, because. That, they're like we're not a partnership we just agreed to do this and like you, know, you well, might not be you might not think you are but you are <laughs> yeah you, but you're that partnership people get concerned I think about when setting up all these SPVs and things got all more more accountancy costs and things like that but it, it's it, like ring fencing stuff and just making sure that other 
assets you've got aren't exposed to things within that it's just so important I mean I interview a lot of people on this podcast who have done this for a long long time and um, one thing comes out that in 2008 the biggest reason that a lot of people got into huge amounts of trouble was how they were structured um, and and it really opened them up to uh, an awful lot of pain Um, so I definitely get some Get some advice when uh, looking at purchasing, not just obviously from that point of view, but also on on um, on how you're structuring that asset within your business or organisation. So, yeah, and and on, on direct tax as well is usually worth making sure that everything's correct from that perspective, isn't it? And like you say, the yeah. stamp duty tax as well yeah I mean god there's so many taxes <laughs> I think someone the other day said oh if you're if you're paying more tax you're earning more so it's a good thing I said well I don't well, hold on a minute what about stamp duty what about all of these taxes you pay before you burn so yeah I'm not sure I, I totally agree yeah with that. I think that's a very <laughs> a very simplistic um, statement isn't it yeah. because I, I actually was at a seminar about um, about SAS about being properties into SAS for your pension yeah yeah, yeah. And how how by doing that the rent becomes um, all corporation tax deductible for your business, and how much how much that you uh, sorry tax in general that you can actually save by yeah. having your property in a SAS rather than having it in a hold co if yeah. you're going to be let into your commercial business. Yeah, well, there's so lots of yeah, there's lots of tax advantages on on. Um, on SASs, especially with uh, yeah. having a linked uh, property company and things like that. But yeah, that, that yeah. that's definitely a separate podcast. They're so- not one that you need to talk to me about. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, just so I think I think one of the most important things that certainly our listeners um, are going to be really, really kind of interested in is just going back to that best way to structure your business to reclaim that on things like the materials, uh, professional services, and those second fix items if you're using a third-party builder for, for residential or developments. Um, and as we said, it's, it's making sure that that company that um, is doing that is that registered so you can reclaim that back and you don't, sorry, you can then transfer that into either a holding company or if you're selling it, Obviously, it's, it's, it's zero rated. But the idea is the company that's purchasing would be registered for VAT at the time or the company that holds it at the time of doing the build. Is that is that correct? Yes, that yeah, is, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, brilliant. That's, that's, that's been absolutely eye-opening. And there's been so much stuff in there, Jane. I'm really looking forward to listening to all this back. Is there, is there anything else that you think, um, in particular, our audience should know or you want to kind of discuss that we haven't already talked about no i mean only to say that you know vat is very complicated yeah and when you talk about a new dwelling and it's uh, so if someone builds a new house it's zero rated we all know what a new house is yeah. but for that purposes it's not just your general house <laughs> so for that purposes you could have a situation where there's there's some kind of covenant within the planning permission that prevents that house from actually being a dwelling for that purposes and you wouldn't get the zero rating. So, you know, 
but again, you've just got to look at all the facts and all the different documents and to see if there's anything that could scupper the zero rating. I mean, one example would be if you built a property and it was only allowed to be occupied for, say, um, 11 months of the year because of it was more of a holiday yeah. place. Yeah. Sorry, more of a more of a holiday home. Yeah. And HMC put some kind of restriction to say, yes, we don't mind you building cottages here, but they can only be um, occupied for 11 months of the year. Mm-hmm. In that case, that wouldn't be a dwelling for that purposes. What about student accommodation then that would be occupied for 11 months of the year? Cause... Well, it's different because if, if it's only occupied for 11 months of the year because the students go home for the summer and the different vacations, yeah. Um, that's different. It's whether it's in the planning permission or not. Right. Okay. Got it. So, yeah. like, you know, if you bought a house and you only let it six months of the year, yeah. that's fine. But if it was in the planning that you couldn't let it for the full twelve months, yes, yeah, then it's not a it's not a dwelling for that purposes, okay. and it would you'd have to charge standard rate of VAT to build that house. Yeah. So if you get say that would be for like plots on holiday parks and things like that. Maybe that might yeah, be and, yeah, and it, it, as well as like things like agricultural ties. So if you've got a property that states that people can only live in this house if they're going to be farming the land, yeah, again that can stop it from being a dwelling for that purposes. Yeah, uh, right, okay, yeah. There's lots of quirky things yeah. like that, and that um, could be interesting when purchasing something like that to then, with the view of maybe converting at a later date. That, that could that could have a, yeah. a serious impact, yeah. Brilliant. So, um, Jane, how can people get in touch with you? Because, like I said, I like to kind of try and do learn as much about certain topics as possible, but that is just one thing that I know I'm never going to be on top of <laughs> enough, and it's, it is really important to have someone like yourself that I can sort of call on to... Um, to, to speak to so how can well, people how can people get in well, touch with you can email me um, at janedeeks at bellhowley.com and that's all lowercase brilliant and I'll put a, uh, a link to that in the show notes as well so people can uh, yeah, can get in thank touch thank you Jane that's been absolutely brilliant thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to record this no that's been great thank you yeah. Rod and I'm happy for anybody to give me a call you know I'm always happy to have a chat about things and if I can help you and it's just a sim- you know if I can help anybody that's listening and it's just a simple yes or no answer more than happy to do that um, so Brilliant. usually um, usually with VAT it isn't but <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we, we can decide what the way forward is but I'm always happy for that yeah. first uh, free no obligation chat brilliant that's really useful thanks so much Jay. okay thank right. you Rod Please join me next time for more detailed discussions about property on The Rodcast.